Numbers chapter 13. And then after that, we're going to move over into Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to read about two groups of people tonight. The contrast is is quite remarkable between these two groups. But it's important for us to see the contrast, to look at these two groups of people. And uh, tonight, may the Lord help us as we pray. Just turn to God's word. We'll just ask for his blessing upon everything. Father, in the name of Jesus, pray tonight, Lord. We thank you for the testimonies in your house. Again, Lord, of your goodness and your mercy, your great hand upon our lives. And we pray as we turn to your word, Lord, that you would give help tonight, that you would anoint us, Lord, to bring forth thy word, that you would speak tonight, that you would open the, the ears and open the eyes of the blind and on, on stop those deaf and ears tonight, Lord. Would you speak in the lives, Lord? Do a work tonight by your spirit. And Lord, would you pour out your blessing upon us in this room tonight. We give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Praise the Lord. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome. This is the time when the spies had gone in to spy out the land that God had promised them. And verse 31, it says, But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel. Sorry, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Numbers 14, verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. And if you turn over into Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to read from verse 32. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lands, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed violent in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. 
and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word tonight. You know, these are uh, two groups of people probably represented in this room tonight, I believe. Two groups of people, one in the old and one recorded in the New Testament in the great faith chapter. In the chapter 13 of Numbers, we were reading about a people who had come out of Egypt. God had wonderfully and supernaturally and gloriously delivered them out of the hand of the enemy and brought them out. And when we look at this generation in Scripture, we probably look at a generation like none other found in God's Word. And as we come to a close of a year, we look at this current generation and the generation in Numbers 13, and we can find very much a lot of similarities. Here was a generation, you know, the Bible says, in Luke chapter 12 and verse 48, For unto whom, for unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. And so we live in a generation and the reality have been given much. We are living in a world, in the Western world, that has been given more than any other generation that's ever walked in this planet, and there's a responsibility for that. You would hardly believe your ears when you tune in to Numbers chapter 13 and find this group of people that such a statement would be made as we've read through it tonight, but you would hardly believe your ears when you heard these people say, let us return to Egypt. That might seem something just very simple or a simple statement, but can you imagine for one minute as God would listen to their conversation, the same God that had come down and delivered them by his mighty hand, that had brought them out of Egypt, that had destroyed the army of Pharaoh in the Red Sea, that had made a way for them when there was no way, that had brought them out, their pockets filled with the treasures of Egypt, brought them through into his promise. Can you imagine for a moment that after everything that God had done for them, that when he listened to their conversation, 
They were talking about going back to Egypt. And it's a remarkable thing that when we listen and follow this group of people in the Old Testament, the mentality that existed. You know, you may have heard the statement said many times, and it can be said of any area in the world, you can take the boy out of Belfast, but you can't get Belfast out of the boy. And that could be said of any area that you're from. But really for this group of people, you could take them out of Egypt, but you could, get, you could not get Egypt out of them. We see here as we listen to their conversation, Numbers chapter 11 and verse 5. If you follow it with me for a moment, because God had done great things for this people. It was an amazing thing, the blessings of the Lord that he had bestowed upon him. You know, the hymn writer says, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And here is a people that were blessed beyond measure. And here in Numbers chapter 11, verse 5, as they're on this journey towards the promised land, they began to talk amongst themselves. And this is what they said. We remember, we remember, we remember the fish. We did eat in Egypt freely. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now... Our soul is dried. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our very eyes. Can you imagine supernaturally that Almighty God had provided the children of Israel with bread from heaven? Jesus told us that He is that living bread. He is the bread of life. And as they looked at this bread, they began to think in their minds as they considered Egypt that it would be better for them to return to bondage, to slavery, under the control of Pharaoh rather than live in the victory and in the promises of Christ our King. Were it not better for us to go back to Egypt? Can you imagine God who had delivered them by his great power? God who had sent the deliverer Moses. God who had freed his people after 400 years of bondage. Brought them out of Egypt in one night. Marching out in the victory. Knowing the great victory of God in their lives. Filled their pockets with all the spoils of Egypt. They walked out as a mighty army. By the great hand of Almighty God. They came down to that Red Sea. And at that point there was no way through. And there was no way back. But God in His great power. And the God in His great hand came down. And a wind began to blow. And open up that sea. And God. God's people walked through on dry ground. They stood on the banks. They rejoiced. They played the tambourines. They rejoiced in the goodness of God as the army came in after them and God swallowed up Pharaoh's army. What a victory. What a blessing. What a God. What a deliverance. What a victory God had given them. But here's the same people. Can you imagine how God felt when he tuned his ear into their conversation? It's better for us 
to go back to Egypt. See, this bread that God has given us, this bread's no good. We don't want the blessing of the Lord. We don't want the provision of Almighty God. They had forgot what God had done for them. They forgot what God had blessed them with. They had forgot the victory and what God had brought them out of. And now they're thinking, you see the deception of the enemy. They're thinking it's better for them to be back in Egypt. And what a lie that is from the pit of hell itself. This is the same people. You know, when you have an experience in your life, whenever that experience is, or a notable experience, but if there's two people that experience something at the same time, and a couple of years later, if you talk to this, the two same people about that experience, you'll often get a different account of what happened. Isn't that true? They might be there. It might be people from the same family. It might be people from a same experience in life. But as the years go, go along, and then you sit down and you talk to one another about what happened, say, 10 or 15 years ago, often you'll find that you'll get two accounts of the same experience. Isn't that right? But here, as they look back, they looked at Egypt and seen it completely different from what the reality was. You see, they could not see the blessing of the Lord. They could not see the goodness of God. They had forgot the great hand of God upon their life and the provision of the Lord. You know, I've never met a true Christian that's ever regretted getting saved. Anyone who's saved in this room regret getting saved? No, you're delighted that you're saved tonight. When you think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done in your life, your soul cries out, Hallelujah! I'm glad I'm saved by the power of God. Here's a people that forgot the goodness of God. This is the same people, if you turn back into Exodus chapter 2, look at this tonight. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 23 that God had heard their cry. This is exactly the same people. You could hardly believe this. Exodus 2.23, It came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of their bondage. And they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of their bondage. This is the same people. In Exodus chapter 3, if you turn over to the next chapter, the Lord said these words, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. There was a bondage. There was a cry under the onslaught of the enemy, and their cry came up. By reason of that bondage. And the Lord heard their cry. And the Lord sent a deliverer. And the Lord was faithful in that he delivered them. How did these people see Egypt at this time? With its chains, its bondage, its oppression, its depression, its slavery to sin. And onto the power of Pharaoh. More attractive than freedom and victory and a promise of a land flowing with milk and honey. How is that possible? 
How is it possible that people would prefer to be in bondage to sin, to be under the control of Satan, to have no hope, to have no peace, to have no joy, to have no eternal home, but a destiny called hell and a fire and a flame that never is quenched? How could they possibly think that that is more attractive than the victory that there is in Jesus Christ, the power of sins forgiven, peace with God, and a home in heaven. How is it possible that men and women and young people would live through a life knowing the truth of the gospel, the power of the cross, and everything that Jesus has done for them, and yet in their complaining and murmuring, never want to leave the pit and come to Christ? I put it to you tonight, brothers and sisters. There was a mentality that lingered on. There was an Egyptian mentality. You could take them out of Egypt, but you could not get Egypt out of them. Every time you picked up on them, they were always complaining. They wanted what they needed. They weren't happy. They were complaining about everything. You know, they say that the British, that's us, they say that the British, or if you're Irish, that's fine too. The British and the Irish. But they say that this part of the world complain more than any other part of the world. We complain about everything. We complain if it's raining. We complain if it's sunny. We complain if it's cold. And we complain if it's hot. Is it not true? They say on average, and I think we might be above the average, we complain at least three to four times a day. But I think it might be higher. We complain about everything. We complain about traffic jams. Well, we have no traffic jams. We complain about everything. We complain about queues. We complain about the fast food. We complain about the slow food. We complain about everything. Because we're born murmurers and complainers. And you think that this was only found in Numbers chapter 13. But brothers and sisters, the generation that we have come to is a generation, a generation just like Numbers 13. You see, there's a deadly deception. And it's a deadly poison. And many have been poisoned with this deception and agreed with the lie and have this mentality that is absolutely fatal to your soul. That poison was poured into them by ten men. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, be very careful who influences you in this world. Influence is very important. Who you put yourself with and who you set yourself amongst. Because influence can be deadly. How many people know that to be true? You see, in verse 31 of our reading, it simply says, But the man that went up said, Ten men had an opinion. And there's an awful lot of opinions in this world today. Ten men said, We be not able to go up against the people. I want to tell you, saints of God, Surround yourselves with men and women of faith. Surround yourself with men and women of encouragement. Surround yourself with men and women that love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of their heart. Surround yourself with people that say, God is able despite the mix and the death and the day in which we're living in. 
Two deadly tactics of the devil are fear and deceit. That's the two deadly tactics. The Bible says, here's the fear. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may defar. That's fear. He tries to put fear on people in living and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he can't get you by fear, the one and most common trick of the devil himself is to deceive you. In Genesis 3 and verse 1, the Bible says that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. What a liar he is, the devil himself. You see, it's either fear or it's deception. But he is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. These men poured deceit and fear. Listen to it tonight because it's important. They poured that in to around 2 million people. The influence of 10 men poured fear and deceit into 2 million people that never crossed over into the promised land. It's important tonight who you surround yourself with, what you listen to. If someone's a murmur and complainer, just quietly and respectfully, just extract your presence from their company. Because they'll influence you away from faith and living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Influence on your life. These men influenced two million people that they did not enter in to the fullness and what God had for them. Now you might say tonight, what has this got to do with me? Well, the Bible says everything. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. This is what the Bible says concerning these things. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our what? For our learning. In other words, we're supposed to learn from their example. Numbers 13. We're supposed to look at their lives. We're supposed to look at their faults and feelings and be able to apply what they did and didn't do to our lives and to know the traps that they fell into. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, it says these words, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. In other words, this generation in Numbers chapter 13 is crucial for our learning and for our admonition upon whom the very ends of the world has come. Do you think that the human nature has changed much after reading Numbers 13? Do you think that we're so different from them? I believe we're living in a day more than any other day, that we have been given so much. Listen, brothers and sisters, we have so much. I mean, we are blessed beyond measure. We have more. We think and we look across the world. We think of those 10 people, 10 brothers in Christ, as far as I hear, in Nigeria who were recently beheaded by ISIS. I mean, you come through those doors tonight. This place is alive with kids enjoying themselves. 
We are here in the freedom and the liberty and in the goodness of God. We have breath in our bodies with clothes on our back. We have food on our table. We are blessed beyond measure. We have everything. We have everything. We, there is not poverty, brothers and sisters, like we hear of it. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, I tell you, they say that some extortion amount of people are living in poverty. But poverty, and for those who have traveled to Africa or India and go into one of those villages, that's what poverty is. We are blessed in this country. We're blessed with the goodness of God. We're blessed with the health service. And I know we complain about the health service, but we're blessed that we have one. We're blessed with finance. We're blessed with transport. We're blessed with cars. We're blessed with a job. We're blessed with money. Has everyone in this room got a roof over their head? Then you're blessed. Have you a shirt on your back tonight? Then you're blessed. Have you breath in your body? Saved and not saved. I want to tell you, if you have breath and you're breathing, everyone's still breathing, then you're blessed tonight. And we complain. We use our breath to complain. We use our breath to complain of our lives and what's miserable, what's not happening, where we're going, where we're not going, what should be happening, what isn't happening, what he done, what she done. I don't like this, I don't like that. We are a nation of complainers. And the devil will use the complaint and the murmuring. Listen very carefully. He'll use what you say. He'll use the murmuring and complaining to poison, to pour poison into your life. You see, there was a mentality in these people. They were always murmuring. They were always complaining. They did not know what it was to simply say, thank you. You know, we teach our wee ones from an early age, don't we? What do we say to them? They say, thank you. We could maybe start to take some of those lessons ourselves. To thank, to be thankful. But these people were always complaining. They were always murmuring. They had a privilege. They had the goodness of God. And you know, I want to say this tonight because it's a privilege it's a privilege to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, listen to me tonight, it's a privilege. When you think of the millions across this world that have never even heard the name of Jesus once, when you think of the little shacks and the little tin huts that are erected for a house of worship across a lot of the world. Brothers and sisters tonight, it's a privilege to hear the gospel. But these people were never happy. You could never please them. They always wanted to go back. They had a different mindset. They always complained. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord deliver us from complaining. But in the midst of that, there was a Joshua and there was a Caleb. 
There was men that were different. You know, they were different from everybody else. And this world doesn't like people to be different. Sure they don't? They want us all to be the same. Actually, they don't even want male or female anymore. They just want us all to be the same. But here was two men, Joshua and Caleb, who were different. Not only were they different, and I want you to hear this tonight, not only were they different, but they made a difference. They made a difference. You see, when these people looked at the bread, they turned their noses up at it. But you see, Joshua and Caleb seen beyond the present. They had a faith. And through that faith, they were able to see beyond even the present sufferings. That was the generation that Joshua was raised in. And that's the generation that you're raised in tonight. You see, you don't have to be like every other fish in the stream. What set Joshua apart? And there's three things I want to point out to you about Joshua. The first thing is this. I want you to listen carefully because these things are important. The first thing that you note about Joshua is Joshua had a desire for God. He had a desire for God. You'll remember when Moses was in in the glory with the Lord and communion with the Lord and he came out and there was a young servant, a young man called Joshua and he wanted to linger on a little bit longer. He had a desire for the presence of the Lord. That set him apart. The second thing that you'll note about Joshua is he had a faith in God to believe God for that which was impossible. While man says we are not able, Joshua was saying we are more than able. There was a difference in this man's life. There was a difference because he desired God And he had a faith in God. And number three, he had the conviction or the courage to stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the three things. He had a desire, he had a faith, and he had courage to stand up for the Lord. Do you know more than ever in this generation, do you know what this generation needs to see? A demonstration of the Holy Ghost and power. More than ever, we talk about the term reality, and they use it for everything. But I do believe that in the church, what's needed more than ever before is the reality of God in a life. Men like David Brennard that said this, he only lived till he was 27, and God used that life. But you read of his life, it tells you, that mission boards would have rejected him. But God didn't reject him. Thank God, God takes rejects. But this is what he said. Here am I. Send me. Send me to the ends of the earth. Send me to the rough, the savage pagans of the wilderness. Send me from all that is called comfort on earth. Send me even to death itself, if it be but in thy service, and to promote thy kingdom. Men that were different. 
Robert Moffat, the missionary to Africa, whose eldest daughter married David Livingstone, when he was leaving just before he sailed for Africa from London, he said these words, Oh, that I had a thousand lives and a thousand bodies. All of them should be devoted to no other employment than to preach Christ. I have not repented in becoming a missionary. And should I die in the march, listen to these words, should I die in the march and never enter the field of battle, all would be well. Men that stood up, men that said, as for me and my house, my life, I will serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Men that had a desire for God, men that had a faith and believe in God for the impossible. But more than anything else, men that had courage to make that stand. This generation more than ever needs to see the reality of God. God is an awesome God. God is a supernatural God. There is no God like our God. There is no one like Jesus Christ. There is no other life that a man or a woman can live than the life in knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. There isn't a Christian on this planet that ever regrets the moment that they surrendered all to Jesus. Not a Christian will you find anywhere in this world. You'll find thousands of Muslims regret being a Muslim. You'll find thousands of nominal Protestants regret being a Protestant. You'll find thousands of Roman Catholics regret ever being brought up in the Catholic Church. But you'll never find a man or a woman who knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior have ever regretted the day that they gave their life to Him. This sets this apart from every other oppressive religion on this planet to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. God is looking, not murmurers and complainers, but God is looking Joshua's and Caleb's, men or women that will simply say, here am I, wholly available, send me. It takes a desire that only God gives. It takes a faith that's God's faith. But it takes courage to make a stand and to stand for Jesus in this world. What an exciting time to be alive. What an age to come to. What an opportunity for the lives in this room to stand up for Jesus Christ and say, as for me, I'm going to serve him. Friends, deliver us from complaining because we're going to be home very soon and all the present sufferings of this age will not be worthy to be compared to the glory that we will see. God, give us faith. Give us courage. Lord, we pray, deliver us and forgive us for complaining. May we walk this world in white and shine the brighter for you in the year to come, if the Lord tarries. But, oh God, may we be a people 
that encourage. May we be a people that walk close to this Christ. And may we be a people that make a stand in this world that hates him. Surely he's about to come. It's time, brothers and sisters, not to keep walking around mountains, but to enter in to everything that God has for us. Hasn't God been good? Has God been good to you? Has God blessed you? Never forget what he's done. But brothers and sisters, go forward looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of this faith. Let's pray together tonight.